Welcome back for another week. Welcome back for another Sefer. Welcome back to those that have, who have been joining us since the beginning, since the middle, and those who are new for Sefer Shmuel. Our de- learning is dedicated to Ilanish Master of Kopasiako Balevi, Lucy Maya, and Rina D. Our full sponsors for the year, Naomi Nitzi Hallander for a complete refuah for all Cholim, and Michelle and Gary Friedman in memory of Chana Malka Bas David and Refuah Shlema for Rachel Miral Hinda Bas Miriam Rivka. Our half-year sponsor, anonymously Refuah Shlema for Menucha Tova Bat Shoshana Chava Devora. Our Spotify sponsor, Refuah Shlema for all those injured in Eretz Yisrael. And we continue to daven for Refuah Shlema for Yedidichai Meraviv Rivka Chaya, Brachavi Gail Bas Rachel Gita, Atila Batya Vachaya Tova, Shimon Ben Elka. Happy to announce that one of the names that was on our list has been taken off, Baruch Hashem, he had a refuah shleima, and Shaduchim for all those that are in need. It, it's actually a wonderful feeling to be done with Sefer Shoftim, not only because Baruch Hashem, we can consider that a siyum, but uh, also it is just such a horribly depressing Sefer, especially the last eight to ten prakim at least. You just see a steady decline, Yiftach, Shimshon, Pesalmicha, Pilegesh Begiva. It's just so hard and so painful. And so we find ourselves in Sefer Shmuel. And Sefer Shmuel is a breath of fresh air. So as we do at the beginning of every Sefer, a quick introduction on two levels. First of all, what will we be using as we learn through Sefer Shmuel? Um, and what is the, the thrust? What's the main the main goal of Sefer um, Shmuel. So we'll be using the Mikros Gedolos. Um, obviously, we'll use the the main Mefarshim, Rashi, Radak, Relbag, Abar Benel, Maldim, and others. Um, but we're we're unfortunately we say goodbye to Rabbi Michael Hatton as he has only written on Sefer Yoshua and Shoftim, and we turn our attention towards Shmuel Aleph, and we use a Sefer by Rav Amnon Bazak. Um, called Melech B'Yisrael. There is an English version of it that you can uh, print up and bind and turn into your own Sefer on the uh, VBM, the uh, etzion.org.il, the uh, virtual based matters of Yeshiva Haaretzion. So that will be one of our major contributors. We will continue once again using Yigal Ariel in his Sefer Iyunim B'Sefer Shmuel, Oz Melech. And uh, big fans of the Das Mikra, the commentary on Sefer Shmuel as well. So those are the the major uh, the major sources we'll use. Of course, we'll continue with Hatanach and their maps. Uh, Rabbi Alex is on his daily podcast on going through the prophets, so we'll do that as well. Who is the author of Sefer Shmuel? So the answer that the Gemara in Baba Vasa gives is that Shmuel himself, he wrote Sefer Shoftim, he wrote Megillat Rut, and he also writes Sifro, as the Gemara says. He writes his own book. Now, it's a little bit hard to understand because Shmuel will die in Sefer Shmuel. So obviously it's a little hard to imagine that he finished it, but it could be that one of the Nevi'im that lives and, and prophesizes in the time of David HaMelech will be the one to conclude the Sefer. But Shmuel could certainly be the one to write a big chunk of Sefer Shmuel. And the question is, what is he trying to get at? Well, I think in order to understand that, we have to first go back to Shoftim for a second and say, what was he trying to get at when he wrote Sefer Shoftim? What was his ultimate goal? And perhaps his goal in Sefer Shoftim was to say, this is not the picture of the Jewish people. So what's the answer? 
Ein Melech Yisrael. And this time there's no king. Ah, so what do you do? There's no king. We need a king. And if there's a king, all their problems will go away. Shmuel writes Sefer Shoftan to say that's the prevalent thought. That's where the Jewish people's heads were. We just need a king. And if we have a king, everything will be swell. Shmuel then writes Sefer Shmuel to say, I actually appointed not one, but two kings. Shmuel appoints Shaul, and he will also appoint David. And the truth is, we see that it's not so simple. Just because you have a king does not mean that everything is going to be perfect. There's a lot more that needs to get done in order to make sure that you are successful ruling. Now, who rules? It's a great chart I found on Google. Who rules? When there is no one ruling, you have anarchy. That, that really is the sense that you get at the end of Sefer, um, at the end of Sefer Shoftim. Who rules when there's only one person ruling? So in, in a nice world, that's called monarchy. You could have a wonderful king who's a benevol- benevolent ruler. He takes care of all the people and everything is wonderful. On the other hand, you have the possibility for dictatorship. You have the possibility for bad things. And that's where you have one person who's a tyrant. Now, the question is, what is it really that we deal with when we have the a king? So the answer is that this chart is actually not accurate. Because for by Jewish standards, when you have one king, yes, it's a monarchy. But it's not actually one person that's ruling. The king rules over certain components of society. But ultimately, there's the Ribono Shel Olam, God himself, who rules over the Jewish people. And then there's the Navi and other different sources that come in and contribute to that. So it's an interesting thing. The monarchy of the Jewish people is not exactly like the monarchy that uh, that we're used to in the societies that have kings that we either see or we learn about. Okay. Let us start with Pasuk Aleph. There is a man, one man, from this place called Ramatayim, Tzofim, Meharafrayim, that they're lookout points in Harafrayim. And who is this man? What is his name? Elkanah. He's the son of Yerucham, the son of Elihu, Ben Tohu, Ben Suf. Uh, Ephrati. He's an Ephrati. He's from Ephrat, whatever that means. So the question is, what exactly, first of all, who is this guy? He's Elkanah. We're going to learn a lot about Elkanah. So we should actually be a little bit tipped off by the idea of Vahi Yishechad Mehar Ephraim. Vahi Yishechad Mehar Ephraim. If you take a look at the two sources below, that's the beginning of the Pesel Micha story. Vahi Yishechad Mehar Ephraim Yishmo Michayu. Micha. The Pesel Micha story. There's a man from Har Ephraim. There is the Ish Levi that lives and he takes a Pilegesh, a concubine from Lechem Yehuda. Of course, that's the introduction to the story of Pilegesh Begiva. Neither one of these stories below ends off really well, but they all start off with this Ishachad, or this Ish, there's a man. And where's the man from? The man is from Har Ephraim. We also have a man from Har Ephraim now. But there's a couple things to note. First of all, it says, Ish Echad. He's one man. Dot Mikra points out that when it says Ish Echad, 
generally when we have that, echad, that's somebody that's special, that's someone that's important, somebody significant. They're not special people. Yes, what they do will reverberate amongst the Jewish people for a long, long, long time. But they're not important. They're not people of good quality. Elkanah, who we're going to spend a bit of time learning about today, is a special man who has a quality to him that distinguishes him. What does that mean? That he's from these Ramah that look from Har Ephraim. So we have two possibilities. Rashi says, There were these two peaks, these two uh, high points that look towards each other with a valley beneath them. He lived there. And there is even an opinion that perhaps one of his wives lived. We're going to find out that he had two wives. One wife lived on one Ramah, one on the other. Maybe that's a Kida, happy life. Happy life, happy wife will only work if they're living separately. Okay, possibly. So that's one possibility. Um, and the Mahari cross says, no. Echad shebami matayim tsofim. What is it? Tsofeh. Tsofeh is either a lookout or a person that has the ability to look deeply. Who could look deeply? A Navi. He's one of the 200 Naviim that, that prophesied in the time to the Jewish people. Okay. It is interesting to contrast these stories, the, the, these constant places of Har Ephraim. Perhaps what the Torah wants to tell us is that this place wasn't bad. Just because we met bad people from Har Ephraim doesn't mean that Har Ephraim is bad. It's the people, Micha, the Ishlevi, they were bad. Now, Elkanah is a Levi, says Rashi. But even though he's a Levi, it tells us that he's an Ephrati, and it gives us a whole long list of his family. But he is a Levi. Now, if you look at the map, some of the feedback said that the, the maps are and the charts are helpful. So we will take a look at this map. If you see... Just to get a sense of where Har Ephraim is, the Arabic letters uh, on the left, that is a uh, place, I can't remember what the name of it is in English, and I have not learned to read Arabic just yet. But um, that is the place that he was from. That's Ramatayim Sofim Behar Ephraim. That's the place that he was from. Now, to the left is Shiloh. Spoiler alert, he's going to go to Shiloh. Now, to the left of him, probably a little further to the west, um, is Dan, all the way above him, now again, it goes Israel goes much further than that, but all the way above him is Menashe, more local to him is Ephraim, we have Binyamin here, that maybe according to some opinions, Art Scrolls map has it like eat into Shiloh as well, and you have Yehuda down south, he is in the hub of some of the most powerful, influential tribes of the Jewish people, that, that's where he is. And if you take a look, also significantly, is that there are, and I for this I wanted specifically the uh, the modern day map, from where he's coming from, you actually could feed into different highways and to take different routes to Shiloh. Yes, the shortest route from where he lived to Shiloh is about 42 kilometers, 
and that would be the highway over here that would take you to Shiloh. But if you wanted to, you could travel south, and you can come up along the, the road here, the 60, that would take you to Shiloh. You could go this way as well and go through the land of Ephraim and come down. But if you wanted, you could also go north that way towards Menashe and then come down from Shechem through what is today Huara, and you would come down that way as well. That's significant because he lives in an area with many, many crossroads, and therefore he has access to many options in how he's going to travel to Shiloh. Let's keep that in mind as we continue. Let's move to Pasuk Bet. Below Shein Hashim, he has two wives. Shem HaAchad Chana V'Shem HaSheni Pnina. And the one of them is Chana and the other one is Pnina. V'Ailu Pnina Yeladim U'Lechana Ein Yeladim. So Penina has children and Chana does not. So the picture that's here, which was used as a, a highlight of an article written on one of the websites of Chabad for Chana and Penina, it has one of them pointing a finger at the other one. Chazal tell us that Penina was very difficult towards Chana. And she would give her a hard time and she would make fun of her and she would really, really get her upset. So the picture seems to indicate that. However, if you take a look at the opinion of the Dat Mikra, he has a fascinating take on it. So first of all, he says, Let's call it how it probably is. Chana is the, the beloved wife that goes back to the uh, early ages, to the youth of Elkanah. Because she was an Akaran, she couldn't have children. He takes a second wife. That is the Medrash as quoted by the Dat Mikra. Her name Chana. If you name your child Chana, what is Chana? Certain charm. Or maybe Chanina to supplicate, to pray before God. But Pnina, Ulai, he says, Ulai, maybe. Lashon Yachid min Pninim. Maybe it is the singular version of Pninim. Pninim are gems, pearls. Maybe Pnina is one. I don't know. So what to think about? If that's the case, then she doesn't seem to be such a bad person. Which one is it? Not so simple. So what happens? Let's take a look at Pasa Gimel. This man, Elkanah, he goes up from his city, Miyamim Yamima. He goes up every single year, or possibly every single regel, to bow before God. And to bring Korbanot before God. And who are the Kohanim at the time? The sons of Eli, Chafni, and Pinchas. We're going to learn about them in Parag Bet and see that they're not exactly the most uh, holy of people. So what does it mean, Miyamim Yamima? I said last time when we were learning and we had that phrase in the end of Sefer Shoftan that we have to understand what Miyamim Yamima is. And for this, I share with you an idea by Rav Yigal Ariel. And I apologize. I know that I've share, I shared this many times in the past in many different contexts. So it's possible that someone heard this before. 
Uh, and if you did, I apologize, but it's a it's a great idea that is that is worth uh, repeating. Miyamim Yamima means says Rav Yigal Ariel that he did it every single year, the same exact thing over and over and over again. And one of the questions is: Is there a benefit to doing the same thing over and over again? Now, for some of us, we'll think back and say, "Well, you know what? Listen, when I was in school." if we're old enough to have been part of the generation where this was actually acceptable to do. So what happened if you really misbehaved? It was not uncommon for a teacher to tell a student, I want you to write over and over and over again the following words. Right? I don't know. Is there any benefit to that? Probably not. Uh, and nowadays, we're, we're forbidden as teachers to do that. It's considered cruel and unusual punishment. Can you write over and over again the same thing? No, you can't. But is there a benefit to that? Think about our own lives. We daven, hopefully, every day. And we daven multiple times a day. Say the same words of Shimon Asri over and over and over and over again. What value do they have? Yamim, yamima, every single day. In fact, for those people that daven min chamarev, back to back, so you're doing a Shimon Asri, and then 10 minutes later, you're doing another Shimon Asri, sometimes that is just so hard. Now, sometimes you're on fire and it's an amazing Shon essay. So the second one is even better. But often it's not the case. And the second one is an even more watered down version than the first one. Miyamim Yamima. Every single day, over and over again. That is, that's his, his personality. Rav Amnon Bazak, our first idea by Rav Amnon Bazak, he says that the theme throughout the the parak seems to be this idea of repetition, the same thing over and over again. We're going to see a lot of that. Chana had a had a plan. There was a plan for the family. They came every single year, and this is what they did. Why is that? So it's telling us that the there's something repetitive going on here. Now, is that necessarily a bad thing? I would take Alkana over the people in Shoftim any day of the week. But what exactly is going on? So let's take a look. Let's take a look at a beautiful idea by Rav Yigal Ariel. We'll see inside um, what he has to say. So Rav Yigal suggests the following. He says, If you were to be Alkana over and over again, every single year, it might eventually come to lose its flavor might eventually lose its spark. And that seems to be so much of the problem in Shiloh at the time. The people just did it by rote and it lost its meaning. So wasn't there the possibility that Elkanah was going to do all this as well? Think about the Kohanim at the time. They were the Kohanim, but while everybody knew that as Kohanim, they were not inspiring. Why? Because they viewed it as, this is my job, or this is my right. And they lost the ability to inspire people. In the worst days, in the days where Arki told us last time that Shiloh was, it fell into a point where nobody even knew that Shiloh existed. They couldn't know where Shiloh was. In a time like that, he went. It's It's... Elkanah that goes back. And when he goes to Shiloh, who does he look for? Not the Kohanim. But he looks for God. 
שגרת חייו היא שגרת שבקדושה מלבישה הרגשות עשורים ומעשים ממשים ויומיומיים. He says, yes, I know I do this every single day. I know it's me, ימים ימימה. But you know what? I'm going to infuse it with a spirit, something special. בזתם יתאל, האדם את רגשותיו להפיק בו נבי עוצם רואים את הצעות סביביו צעד אחד צעד למעלה. It's one step further. The Medrash tells us something amazing. If you remember the map from Pasuk Aleph, I said that Elkanah had so many different options, so many different routes of how he could go up to Shiloh. When he punched into ways, okay, my donkey, let's take us to Shiloh, he could have taken the same 46-minute, 42-kilometer route every time, but he doesn't. He goes up. And his family goes up. But every time he goes a different way. Yes, it's miyamim yamima. But he takes different people every time. How? He would come into a city and he would sleep in their street. And the people would say, where are you going, Elkanah? You got a whole big entourage with you. Your, your, your donkeys are laden with stuff. Where are you going? And he'd say, I'm going to Mishkan. Mishkan Shilo. They'd say, what? What's Mishkan Shilo? It's the house of God. And he would tell them what happens there. how inspiring it is, and how powerful it is. And the experience was so profound, not only for him, but for them, they would come. And they would continue to come without him. And the next time, he would take a different route and stop in a different city and bring a different group of people. That is how he took miyamim yamima. He says, I'm doing the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's only the same thing if it's by road. But if I wake up every morning and I daven, and I daven in an inspired way from my heart, then perhaps I'm not even the same person as I was yesterday. But certainly my davening wasn't the same as yesterday. That's the purpose. That's what Olkana does. I have to share with you an idea by Rabbi Eli Michel. He wrote in the uh, Mizrahi magazine a few months ago, I cut it out and I stuck it in Shmuel Aleph and I hoped that I wouldn't forget about it. And he says, you know, Elkanah was dealing with something not too dissimilar to things that nowadays some people have to deal with when they make Aliyah. You moved to Israel, you got the bug, you drank the Kool-Aid, you were inspired, whatever you want. And now you come back and you talk to your friends and you want... to preach, oh, you should be here, this is the place for Jewish people, you want to. But he says, that is not the way to do it. What you have to be is like Elkanah. Don't tell them why, that they should be here. But explain to people what Eretz Yisrael is. Do you have any idea what a gift it is? And hopefully you inspire them. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to come. But hopefully you plant seeds in a person that people hear it and acknowledge and recognize that this is the place to be. Is it possible that Elkanah came to some cities and not everybody came? Oh, it's definitely possible. It's possible that when he came to one of those cities, someone said, I wasn't ready for it. But Elkanah didn't preach and he didn't yell and he didn't scream. But Elkanah said, this is the most wonderful place. You have to get there. And it planted seeds. And some people came sooner, and some people came later. But the people heard it, and they were inspired. 
what happens next? He arrives in Shiloh. And that day, he would bring a carbon. He would give to Penina, his wife, and to his sons and daughters from Penina, food. Chana wouldn't get one. She would get two portions. Because Chana was beloved, Hashem Sagar and Chana's womb was closed. This should tell us, this should begin to tell us, this, this sounds a lot like other people in Tanakh. We know that on Rosh Hashanah morning, we read this Haftorah, and we match it with Sa- the reading of Sarah. Sarah has a Ben, has a child after all these years. There are similarities. But I would say that probably the greater similarity is not with, it's not with, Sarah, but it was with Rachel. Rachel being the beloved wife. Because she deals with a co-wife. And that co-wife, Leah, is not as kind and as thoughtful as one would think she would be. She suffers. She suffers greatly. Now, the Medrash does tell us that the reason why um, Penina did this was Penina wanted to inspire the Davin. So she says, oh, look at my lot, lot. Look at my children. Look what I have. Did you? I bought this for my oldest kid. I bought this for my youngest kid. And by doing this, she would break. She would break Chana. But her goal was that Chana would be inspired to Davin. It's a good question. Am I permitted to do that? Can I make someone feel bad so hopefully they'll dive in harder? I don't know if that's my place. And so we'll have to see what happens as we learn more about Chana and Pina and their dynamic. Every single year this would happen. Chana would get a double portion. Penina would make her feel bad. She'd cry and she'd have no appetite. That's the story that we got here. Vayomer lo Elkana Isha. Elkana, her husband, says, Chana, lama tivkiva, lama lo tochliva, lama yerlevaveich. He says, why are you so upset? What's going on? Why are you so bothered? Halo anochi tov lach me'asar abanim. Am I not better to you than ten sons? I've always been amazed that Elkana could say something like that. Could you imagine saying that to one's spouse? The spouse is suffering. They want children. And Dafke Elkanah has children. He has all these sons from Penina. And he says, aren't I better than the 10 kids that she has? I'm such an amazing husband. What is going on here, I think, is important to understand. So the Malbim says that in his comments, what he's saying is he's addressing many different things. Lama Tivki, why are you crying? Lama Lotochli, Lama Yerlovech. But I think the most important thing is he says, "What aren't I better than from you for you than ten sons?" He's not trying to upset her. It's your problem is, he says, is that you want kids so badly, and you hope that you'll have kids. 
Even if you were to give up hope of having kids, that's okay. Because aren't I better for you than ten sons? He says to her, it's okay. You're allowed to have Yeyush. Says the Maldim, because he also had Yeyush. He gave up hope. He said, this is silly. There's no point. Why are you making yourself sick over a dream that's not going to happen? You're not going to have kids. That's what he says to her. That is very painful for her to hear. Again, he's saying it, according to the Malam, I think from a good place. He's saying, you have a vision for yourself that just can't be. You know, many kids, when they're younger, dream of playing professional sports. Used to be, people would say, don't dream of, you know, Jewish kids shouldn't dream of playing professional sports. but They should dream of owning professional sports teams. I think both of those dreams are no longer attainable for most. But what happens is you have this dream of playing third base for the Yankees and you just realize that you can't hit the ball too well and you can't catch very well. You're probably not going to. You give up on that dream. Yes, it is painful for a moment, but then you move on. And obviously this is much, much more painful to give up the dream of having children. But sometimes you realize a dream is simply a dream. You're not going to be that. Elkanah says, Kana, game over. What are you trying to do? It's not going to happen. So I want to, before we go on and introduce Ailey, I want to introduce you a little bit to Shiloh. Shiloh is one of my favorite places in Israel. I know I said that about Yericho. It's true. Yericho is a notch in my heart over, um, over Shiloh. But Shiloh is just a magnificent place. There is a shul. This is not a great picture. Um, there is a shul, and Amir Tzashem, we will visit that shul, hopefully uh, maybe daven in that shul, when we when we finish and go to go to Israel to celebrate. But Shiloh has a shul called Mishkan Shiloh. Mishkan Shiloh is actually, it looks like the Mishkan. If you, if you take a look at the front of the picture, that is a ramp. It is supposed to look like the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach was in front of the Mishkan, and then you go in. You go in. This is the area that would be called the Kodesh and the Kodesh Hakadoshim. It has a roof that is supposed. It's painted like the um, the rugs. Even though the Mishkan and Shiloh, we discussed this back in Sefer Yoshua. Even though it was real walls, it was not the sense of uh, temp of temporary tempor- temporary nature that we had by the Mishkan in the land in the desert. Nonetheless, it didn't have a roof. It had walls, but not a roof. And so they they painted their roof to look like what those what those curtains look like. And it even drapes over the side in the same fashion. And when you go inside, they have all the kalim, the aron, the shulchan. It is absolutely, it's a magnificent shul. Magnificent. And if you look to the right, so to the right you have, it was an absolutely stunning day when we were in Shiloh back in late November of last year. Ab- gorgeous. The, the sky and the clouds is just amazing. And that is this big open area that would be where the Mishkan was. And what's amazing is that in all their digging, they found a lot of stuff, a lot of ancient civilization. But here, there's this big open area. It's really nothing there, which makes sense that that would be where the Mishkan was. And then it's destroyed. Nothing ever is built upon it again. 
So it's just interesting. That is a big open space. And it's a it's a very powerful place to daven. They have in there, I really do hope that this works. They have a 3D video, um, which is really beautiful. I, I happen to have recorded um, a little bit of it. And I'll I'll share with you just a few seconds of it right now. This is how much I recorded. So I, I it's it, it's gonna cut out exactly where I cut out. Shiloh is to be the dwelling place of the Shekinah, the divine presence, the holiest site for the Jewish people for 369. It is the holiest place. You can see inside there. There there were markers around the area. That would be the big open space, the Mizbeach in the front. And over there was what was the Mishkan itself. And that's what the shul looks like. And it's built to the exact same dimensions as the uh, Mishkan itself was. Okay, so why is this year different than all others? And I think that for this, we have to really ask a question. Who is the real enemy in this whole thing? Is it Penina or Elkanah? So the, the, the gut reaction is it's Penina. You know why it's Penina? Because Penina makes her life miserable. Every single year she makes her cry. But yet maybe Elkanah is more of the problem. Especially in light of what the Malbim said. Elkanah says to her, give up. There's nothing left. What happens when she hears that? When she hears that I have to give up. There is nothing left to daven for. Game over. So she does something very, very different. After she eats, and after she drinks, Eli the Kohen is sitting on his uh, on his chair. Interesting. Rashi says, He became the Shofet that day. Sounds a little bit like Lot. That day also he was uh, appointed. I don't know if there's any connection. I didn't have time to explore that, but food for thought. So, Al-Mezuzat Heichal Hashem, and he's by the entrance to the Heichal Hashem. V'himar nafesh, and she is so bitter. And she davens to God and she cries. And then she makes a promise. V'tomar Hashem Tzvakot God, Three times she calls herself a maidservant. God, if you could somehow see the suffering of your maid, all I want, remember me and give me children, and I'm going to give that kid to you all your all of his days. And you will not, he will not raise or will not touch his head. Who else had a razor not being able to touch his head? Shimshon. Are they the same person? We're going to see in life that they certainly are not. But there's the possibility that actually it does not mean that he is going to be a Nazir. He takes only this one component upon himself. He'll never get a haircut. Nazir equals Nezer, a crown. Perhaps his long hair is his crown. It's his the symbol that he is royalty. But how is he royalty? Mitativ Lashem, that he's given to God. It's his relationship with God that makes him royalty. He's consecrated to God, but not like a Nazir who abstains from the world. But he needs his crown on his head to remind him that he has this relationship with God. 
She makes a neder and she davens. She davens first and she makes a neder. Now we said that there was a lot, there are similarities to, to Rachel. She can't have kids. She has this competing wife. It's really hard. She has this, she, she approaches someone and says, listen, I need kids. But that's where we begin to see the difference. You see, Chana does not get jealous. There's no indication that she's jealous of Penina. She's just hurt. She doesn't bring in another wife, Bilha, try for surrogate children. She just wants children. She takes matters into her own hands because she is Chana. And Chana is from Chanun, supplication before God. There are so many incredible things that are going on here. First of all, she, is, she makes a ned there, but she's not the first person to make a ned there. Yaakov makes a ned there. B'nai Yisrael make a ned there in Charma. Yiftach makes a ned there. But she also davens. She davens and swears. Why? See, the way tefillah is, is tefillah is, I say, God, I'm not deserving. A ned there, it says that, that I'm, I'm putting something upon myself. God, if you give me, we're partners in this. She says, listen, God, there's both pieces here. I'm going to daven. I'm going to daven with everything I got. But I want you to know that I'm not just begging you from zero, saying I don't deserve it. I'm saying to you that I'm giving you a nether, a promise. There's a partnership here. Rebazak points out that there is a beautiful change. There is a shift. This is not the status quo. The status quo that we were used to from the time of Shoftim is no longer. Someone is bothered by something and they take matters into their own hands. Elkanah didn't believe in this. He was Messiah. She says it can't be. We're going to see Ailey's reaction in just a moment. But Hannah says, I will not accept the status quo. I will daven with all my heart. I will make a ned there with all my might. I'm going to do all these things. Why? Because I believe that I can challenge the status quo and I can make it work. Ailey's watching her as she's davening. She's davening with all her heart. And Ailey's watching her lips. Her lips are moving, but you can't hear anything. Your mouth's moving, but there's no audio coming out. Ailey assumes that she is drunk. Now I have to tell you, I looked I looked far and wide to figure to find this. Why does Ailey think that she's drunk? So there is a famous explanation that probably most of us have heard when we learned the story of Shmuel Aleph. I always assumed it was a Medrash or a Gemara. It's not. Ailey says the Vilna go. I'm not going to see it inside, but if you want it, let me know and I'll 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 share it with you. The Vilna Gaon says the following, the Gura. He says that Ailey had no idea what was going on. He looked at her and said, there's something wrong. People don't daven this way. What in the world is going on? So he consults with the Urimatumim. And he says, Urimatumim, what's the deal with this lady? And then the letters come out. Hey, Chaf, Shin, Resh. Now, just because the letters come out, he now has to do something with these letters. He has to unscramble them. So he says, I'll tell you what I think. They come out to the word Shikora. Vayachshavah Eli Shin Chaf Reish. Hey, 
He says she's drunk. Now, there's another possibility of what these letters spell out. Sheira. She is, uh, she's kosher. She's fine. She's good. But Ailey reads it the wrong way. Now, there is another way to read it, says the Vilna Gon. Never heard this before, but it's saying, Ke Sara, Kilomar, She Anik, Shat Ruach, Akara, Mit Palelet, Albanim, Ke Sara. What is it really saying? She's just like Sarah. Asks an amazing question. There's a, a safer by this Rabbi Levi. I very rarely use it, but I, I was so troubled trying to find this source that I, I found it there. And he asks a great question. Why, why did he mess up the letters? says the following. He did not feel her pain. Therefore, he came up with the wrong conclusion. If he had truly felt her pain, he would have known what was going on. Now, there is another possibility. Another possibility um, of how to explain this would be, and this is a beautiful, it's a beautiful explanation. I heard this on Rosh Hashanah, the Jirash, I think the, the first day, of Chagai Goldschmidt, who, who lives here in Ramat Shilo, and I spent all of Yantiv trying really hard to remember it, so that when the time comes for Perak Aleph, I would I would remember it. And he says like this, he says, Ailey couldn't understand, why is she davening like this? She's davening with such heart. But this is, we know it's Rosh Hashanah. According to the Mesorah, it's Rosh Hashanah that she's there, because that's when she is told that she's going to have a kid a year later. So in Rosh Hashanah, you're not allowed to ask for personal things. So he says, how can you ask Hashem like this? How could you daven like this? You're not allowed to. So she says, I'm not asking for a local thing. I'm not asking for something for me. But I'm asking for something global. I'm asking something for the, for, uh, for the, on behalf of the Jewish people. We say in Rosh Hashanah, Remember us for Chaim. Why Leman It's not for me, God. It's for you. You can ask if it's not for me, but for Klal Yisrael. Or you can ask if it's not for me, but it's for you, God, with a capital Y. That's what she's saying. This kid is not for me. This kid I've promised is going to be what? He's going to be dedicated. He's going to be consecrated for his life for God. Why are you drunk? Come on. I'm not a drunk. That's not. You have me wrong. I poured out my heart before God. Don't assume that I'm a Baplial. Eli's sons are going to be called Bnei they're heathens. They're not proper. She says, amazing, you're accusing me of that, and yet you haven't told your sons off. That's not what she actually says, but it's the undercurrent there. What's amazing is that you would think that Hannah would lash out in pain. She says, no, I just need a bracha. Because of my pain, 
I'm much I'm crying out to God. Says, listen, go home in peace because it's going to be okay. God will give your question, Sha'al, that you want from him, he's going to give to you. And she was fine. She accepted. She knows she's having a kid now. They go home. Chana and and uh, Elkana have relations. And God remembers them and she becomes pregnant. And a year later, what happens? She has a kid and she names him Shmuel. Why Shmuel? Because from God he he came. She asked him of, of him from God. The problem is that if his name was Shmuel, it's not that from God I asked. So the Ibn Ezra says, what is Shmuel? Where is his name derived from? Shmuel. His name, his, de- his life, his mission is dedicated to God. He is in the future going to do things that will impact the Jewish people. He is going to lead them. He's going to be a shofet, a navi. And he's going to be mamlech, the, mel- the melachim, al Yisrael. Um. Rabbi Alex Israel suggests another thing. He says that Shaul is is actually his uh, his real is is the real name that he should be called. Why? It's connected to his future actions of appointing Shaul as a king. Perhaps another possibility is that, like many in Tanakh, he has two names: Shmuel, and also Kimashem Shiltiv is Shaul. He's got two names because each one reflects a different part of his personality. It's time to bring the carbon. It's that time of year again. He go, wants to go up. And Chana doesn't want to go up. She says, I'm not going up. It seems like there is almost like a little bit of tension here. Elkanah says, you got to go up. You made a promise. You got to go up right away. And Chana says, no, no, I'm not going up yet. I will not go up until this child is Yigamel, until he's weaned. Why? Because when he's weaned, he's ready. He's ready to be part and live the service of God that he is supposed to do. Of course, it makes sense. Elkan is the Miyamim Yamima person. Miyamim Yamima said, come on, it's the next year. It's time. We got to do it. Chana says, no, I'm willing to break the mold. We don't have to do things just the way we did last year over and over again just because it's the the script that you play by. We're going to go up with this kid when it's time. When it's time, I'll bring him up. I'm going to bring him up to give him over to God. We're going to do it the right way. Whatever you want. Smart husband. You do what you think is right. She stays. She stays there in the meantime. She finally, he's old enough. And what happens? She brings him up to Shiloh. And it says, 
So what does Vanar Nar mean? The Mitsudas David says Vahanar Nar is um He was still very young. But he was no longer as dependent upon her. He could be left by himself. That's why she brings him up. Since Das Mikra is Vanar Nar is to Naar is actually to accompany, um, to to serve. He's an assistant up there. They shech the, the par and they bring the young boy to Eli. And she says, I, I, she pours out her heart and says, this is the kid. Remember, I davened here. I davened for this kid. Beautiful song. I davened for this kid. And I got, I, 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 I asked and I got what I asked for. He is a she'ela. I asked for him, but I, I lend him. His shield is to lend. I lend him to God. All the days of his life. And it ends off by saying, they, they, they bow down to God. What exactly is going on here? It seems like the same way she had like a little bit of a push with El, with Elkanah, she now has a little bit of a push with Eli. Why is Eli reluctant to accept Shmuel? The Gemara tells us an amazing thing. Shmuel was Mora Halacha. He paskined in front of Eli. Eli. It says that they, they shechted it and brought it before Eli. What does that mean? Because they shechted the power, they brought the kid there. You have this animal, you had to shecht it. So let's call it Kohen. Why do you need a Kohen to shecht? Shechting is okay by a non Kohen. How do you know that? So it says, Amrlai, Miksiv, Vishachata Koin. It doesn't say Vishachata Koin. It says, Vikriva Koanim. Ktiv Mekabala Velach, Mitzakunet. Only when you collect the blood, that has to be done by a Koin. Mishkan Shrita Shikshere Bazar. See that Shrita is kosher by a Zar. Amrlai says, Eli, Neymar Shabir, come on, you said it great. But miu mora lacha b'fnei rabbach at. But you were mora lacha b'fnei rabbah. V'chol mora lacha b'fnei rabbah chayv misa. And if you were mora lacha before your rabbi, you're chayv misa. At echan v'katzavcha kamei. Chana cries out, says, Ani aisha, ani tzevedim chabazah. I'm the one that was here. Amrle shivki li den shei. Ubin arachmei v'ayulei rabbimine. So don't worry about it. He says, I'll get you another kid. I'll die and again, you have another child. Amrle elanarazei falalti. Chanahi v'dabarliba. She says that this is the kid that I wanted. This is the kid that I davened for. We learned so much from Chana. We learned so much about Tfila from Chana. But Chana says, I don't want another one. Yes, you can, you can bring me another kid. But this is the one that I wanted. Perhaps the, 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 the Psukim, which obviously do not reveal this, show that there's a reluctance on Eli's part to accept Shmuel. Eli says, what is the purpose of having a non-Kohen in the Mikdash. The Kohen is the, the, the Mikdash is the home. It's the place of the Kohen. What do I gain by that? The Medrash goes so far as to say he was prepared to kill Shmuel. But I think that the tension that the Medrash shares and the tension that the Pshat shares is really the same thing. She says, 
he says, what is the purpose? And Hannah says, everybody has a place by God. Everybody can find a way to, uh, to connect with God. Does not necessarily have to be in a formal role as a Kohen. The ending of the parak is really amazing. It says, Who bowed down? Who, bow, who did the bowing? It could be that Shmuel bowed down. He bows down and says, I'm here to serve. Elkanah bows down and says, I'm so happy that my child will be able to fill this role. Could even be that Eli bowed down. Perhaps as of Bazak, everyone bowed down. And what better ending can you have than that? Isn't it amazing? They're in a good place. Everyone is worshiping a God, God once again, the real God, La Hashem. This is quite a contrast to what we saw in Sefer Shoftim. I want to end with just one idea. One idea that I think speaks volumes to who Chana is. The Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg shares the Pasuk that's the source that Avraham inspired us to have Shachris. The Gemara in Bracho and Dachafav says that what Avram gets up and he davens to God in the place that he had davened yesterday. He sees that stone has been destroyed. The source of Shachris is the idea that Avram davened. And God said no. We're supposed to understand that davening is not about, I oh, I, I daven there. Why? I'm going to daven there because that is the place that Hashem is going, to, that Hashem gave me a yes. No, sometimes it's, I daven there because Hashem gave me a no there. And yet I still have that relationship. I still have that connection with God. What is it that is so great about Chana? Chana has heard no. Hannah has heard that she can't have it. And yet she does not say, I accept that. She says, I'm going to do everything within my power. I got to know, it means I can da- I'm going to dive in harder. I got to know, it means that I have to challenge God. God, you can do it. You can do it for me. You can do it for all of your children. God, this is all for you. That is so much of what we learn from Hannah. It is all about, all about others. It's all about saying, God, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than the people. This is for everyone. That is what God requests. That is what Hannah requests. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll continue next week with Parag Bet and see more of Hannah. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.